I guess we can start. So uh, welcome, Mr. Belong, to the show. Uh, I'm still very shocked that you're here, and I'm very surprised. I first, yeah, learned about you from our case uh, case study, I guess, um, case competition that we did last year with Milo, and uh, was very impressed with your company, especially given how young you are. Uh, so first of all, can you give us a bit of your origin story and where you came from? Because it seems very surprising to me, someone uh, who's close to your own age, and I'm sure to Camila as well, that uh, you're able to start this company that was able to get a 2.9 million investment. Yes. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Uh, really happy to be here. Uh, appreciate all the comments. <laughs> You're shocked. I, I, I look. It's just too much. <laughs> it's just too much for me. But uh, no. And and I remember that experience with the Milo case competition. Great initiative, uh, and very insightful um, conclusions for me. Uh, I do remember that we were talking about human resources and creating team activities. Anyway, very fun. So uh, maybe some uh, perspective on my background. I'm 19 years old. Uh, I'm from Montreal. I studied in high school at Brebeuf, went to CGEP at Brebeuf and dropped out um, when I was 18. Uh, I never completed my, my, my deck. Uh, I started starting part-time when I was in CGEP because of Colute. And uh, today I'm, uh, I'm going to turn 20 in, in about a week and a half on the 9th of June. So very soon. Oh, well, happy um, birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so today I'm the CEO and founder of Goloot, which is a mobile advertising startup based in Montreal. We're a team of 11 uh, working on a revolutionary mobile advertising and mobile reward solution. So uh, yes, as you said, raised a seed round uh, last summer, expecting to raise additional funding this fall. The company is doing very well. It's been in market for uh, three weeks now uh, with a variety of clients, local and international. So I'm very happy with, with my team's accomplishments so far. And uh, we keep pushing. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fantastic hearing you're uh, getting more investment this fall. And uh, speaking about Rebirth, as someone who was also in CJ uh, uh, at the moment, and also Camilla, so why did you drop out of Rebirth? Was it like a formal education wasn't very important to what we're doing? Um. I think it's many things. Uh, first, it, it became very hard to manage the company and CJEP at the same time. I don't think that school and entrepreneurship are compatible, sadly. I wish they were a lot more. Um, but, you know, having a full-time job um, and investing more than your full-time, more time than you can conceive to an idea, to a company, uh, infringes on your school. Um, it was starting to take... Uh, uh, you know, a toll on my grades and I had to stop going to certain classes and I would miss classes because I had to go to uh, certain pitch meetings or investor meetings. And the only teacher that understood that and was flexible with me was my uh, entreprise teacher. So like uh, administration, whatever. So um, business administration, that's for a short term. So, um, so yeah, so school was not really flexible and I had to devote my, my full 24 hour cycle to the company. Uh, that's why I decided to drop out. It was a complex decision, and I'm sure we can get into this, but uh, yeah, that's that's what happened. Okay, well, seems like it takes a lot of courage to decide to drop out of school and pursue something that uh, doesn't necessarily seem to have a future at the very, very beginning. So what? where did you find that courage to decide that, yeah, I think a goal is what I'm going to do uh, full-time from now, and I think I'm going to drop school? Yeah. Um... I've addressed that, that the question of courage uh, a few times in, in, in 
you know, previous conversations and what comes out is, I don't think that it requires that much courage to drop out of school. People have this very epic image of the entrepreneur that drops out and then boom, becomes this like divergent individual in society. But that's not what happened for me. And when you dig into the story of the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Bill Gates and whatever these, these entrepreneur icons, you start to see that it's also not what happened to them. You know, before you drop out of school, you have certain levels of validations in your business and in your journey as an entrepreneur that convince you that there's at least 12 months or 18 months of runway for you to give it a try. Uh, whether it's through funding or because you've joined an incubator program, you've signed a client, you're generating revenue because you have a coffee shop or whatever it is, depending on the form of entrepreneurship, there's a minimal validation before you even drop out. Now, some people have dropped out and became very successful afterwards, but that's not what I did. And so I think it, it, it minimizes the courage part. It's a tough decision and I think it has consequences. Of course, choosing is renouncing. So there's a few things that I've not been able to do and blah, blah, blah. But overall, it was a safe bet for me to go on go loot. And I think if you analyze what Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates and whatever did, it's a safe bet also, of course, now with the proven results, but even at that time. Yeah. Okay, understood. Well, yeah, that, that, that definitely demystifies like the courage part uh, quite a bit. And so uh, despite of dropping out of Prebeuf, you still went to Harvard Business School online to obtain a certificate. Is that correct? That is correct. <laughs> um, okay, so what did uh, Harvard Business School online, at least, what did it offer you in terms of experience and knowledge that um, a uh, education here at CJ couldn't give you? Or... Were there some other hands-on experience that you got at Harvard Online Business School uh, that you did not get with uh, just going with Golud uh, exclusively? Um, so Golud has been the best school in business for me by far. Uh, nothing, and I'm not saying this to diminish other forms of education. This is a personal, again, perspective. But I do think it's true that the entrepreneurial journey whatever your journey is, is the biggest learning you're going to have in business, the best and brightest learning you're going to have in business, far greater than what anything in school could teach you um, when it comes to entrepreneurship again. Um, Harvard Business School was a decision on my side to strengthen my credibility as a manager because I was about to hire now 11 people and I needed to have show at least <laughs> a foundation and, and a, a minimal knowledge in, in management. That's why I took management essentials class. And I wanted to have also to demonstrate to people that I was not doing Golu because I thought I was better than education or better than school. That's not the case. Um, so keeping, you know, keeping education as part of my process, keeping school a part of my process as I kicked off the company was really important for me. Now, school, even if it's Harvard Business Online, is not compatible with the lifestyle of an entrepreneur. I used to do my assignments like literally half an hour before deadline. <laughs> it was just crazy. Um, and, and I got to meet incredible people in this class uh, from around the world, very pertinent managers with a diverse background and experience. Um, but Again, I, I could have gotten a lot more value if I was dedicated full-time to, to my education, which was not the case. So that's why I never renewed, but I pushed through. I took 
variety of learnings from that class that I still apply to this day. I met these very nice people, uh, very fascinating people. And um, I hope that I find more time in the future to do this, but I don't think it's, 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 uh, it's going to be possible in the next few years with the pace of my work at the moment. <laughs> okay, I understand. Um, so let's say, uh, hypothetically, you find some uh, extra time to pursue um, education, e- either in business or um, just, for example, finishing CJEP. Uh, would you still pursue it? Do you think it's still a valuable experience to have? Well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I would finish CJEP because <laughs> I have my opinion on, on CJEP. CJEP is the school of life more than the school of content <laughs> and, and, and educational matter. I think it's it's more where you develop relationships, where you define yourself as an adult, where you embrace your identity, your personality, some things that you were insecure about that, you know, you bring up in CJEP and you start owning them. That's what that's what CJEP, at least for me, was. Um, of course, if you're in you know pure and applied sciences, then there's a lot more like rigid content because you're going to become a chemist or a doctor or a biologist, whatever. So or an engineer. There's a lot more concrete matter that you're going to get from CJEP. But in in human sciences with psychology, business, marketing, it's a bit more fuzzy to put it lightly. <laughs> so, so I would not go back to CJEP. I would go back to definitely university. I hope so one day or at my own pace. I don't care if it's, especially if I can have the level of success I, I anticipate with Golut. I'm, I want to keep learning, but at my own pace, I want to go to uh, California to listen to Peter Thiel, the founder of PayPal, give me a class on entrepreneurship and innovation. I don't want to learn something from someone I don't admire. So um, that's what I would choose. So formal education, for sure, just at my own pace and with the right people in the right classes. Thank you, Henry. And thank you, Mr. Belong, for your answers. You can call me Lucas. It's my pleasure. <laughs> um, we, would like, we would now like to ask you a bit more about your current company, Golu. So to start, how did you come up with the idea of Golu? Of course. Um, so the Golut project officially started in 2017 when I was in high school. What I did at the time was a, an augmented reality mobile game that was based around coupons and discounts. So 2017 is is a few months after early 2017 is a few months after Pokemon Go came out, and so in Canada at least. And so I remember going out in the streets and and running after these these Pokemons seeing the success of the franchise and Niantic Studio being bought out by Google and very just an incredible entrepreneurial success. And I thought, wow, like there's so many opportunities in gaming from this point on. AR, VR is the future. Um, One thing that disappointed me a lot was my parents were not attracted to AR because there were no titles in gaming that offer them relevant content. Pokemon Go was driven for teenagers, was meant to be played by teenagers or young adults that used to be teenagers in the 90s. So my parents and older generations were kind of left out. So my game was, you know, we would do the same mechanics as Pokemon Go, but we would bring people out on the streets to collect these coupons and these discounts from local and international retailers, which would attract an older audience. And when you dive into the mobile gaming market, you start to see that the average gamer is a 36 year old female. So it's not your teenager like on Xbox or PC or PlayStation. It's a different market. Hyper casual gaming like Candy Crush is a different landscape. It's played by adults. 
the proportion of teenagers on mobile is the same as the 60 and to 75 years old. So it's very weird landscape when it comes to video games. And so I was like, okay, there's a big opportunity in this market. And then game, the gold game failed for a variety of reasons that we can talk. Um, and I was left and stuck with the concept of there has to be a better way to reward users in mobile apps, virtual rewards like coins and mushrooms and bleep bleeps. It make no sense. They're not valuable enough. We need to provide more value to consumers. That's how Golud came around with the concept of creating a real world rewards platform for every single app publisher. So you can now play Candy Crush, you can now work out, you can now uh, read or stream with your tablet or iPhone or, or Android device and win rewards from your local coffee shop to L'Oreal to Nike. That's the system that Google is powering and really hoping to change the way you interact with your mobile apps and with advertising within these apps. So that's the company. That's the story behind it in short, uh, skipping up some details, but we can get into that later. Definitely. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more nitty gritty details we would like to get to in this interview. Um, on the same note, I would like to ask you, um, pertaining to the kind of content that your company does, how do you turn something like an intrusive and in-your-face type of advertising into something enjoyable? Yes. Um, when you talk about the concept of an intrusion, what you have to understand is, is that it's not the, the, the ad itself that's intrusive. It's the way it's delivered to you. People don't hate advertising because we like to discover new products and experiences. We like to discover new services around us. We like to uh, discover new games and apps. It's the way these ads are delivered. My marketing director, Pierce Bourne, uses a funny metaphor to say, it's like if right now in the middle of this interview, my girlfriend came and just kissed me on the face. I, I like to get a kiss, but it's the way it's being delivered right now would make no sense to me, right? So advertising is the same thing. It's a kiss from your girlfriend or boyfriend uh, or partner in general, and and but it's the way it's delivered that doesn't make any sense on mobile. So what we've created at Golut is an experience around your ads that fit within the behavior that you're doing at the moment. So if you're working out, you could be getting a 25% discount on Guru energy drinks, which are healthy organic alternatives to these uh, Red Bull, whatever, because you complete a 5K run. So your behavior is enhanced through advertising. We're not changing, we're not interrupting, interrupting, we're enhancing or making better the behavior that you were already doing in your mobile app context. Same applies to gaming. If you beat a level, beat a monster, whatever, you're gonna get gold rewards. If you stream or read, you're gonna get gold rewards. So it's not in changing the nature of the advertising, but more in changing the experience that surround the ads that we've been able to trigger that revolution. And it's not, um, it's not, you know, it, it, it comes with a variety of challenges and problems. It's really not that easy. So easy to put it in words, but it's a very complex ecosystem with its habits and ways that we have to work around. So it's a challenge for my team, uh, but we do believe in our vision very strongly. So uh, hopefully that answers your question, Camille. It most definitely does. And um, with regards to entrepreneurship and building up a business, um, I'm pretty sure it was the CEO of Airbnb who said that to formulate an idea and just starting out as a small startup um, doesn't actually take much capital. However, um, to scale up the business, you would need capital. 
So is this true in your case? And how did you go about the process of scaling up your business? It's 100% true. Um, tech is a very capital intensive space. It requires a lot of investment upfront to be able to deliver a product to market to meet the standards and quality that people are used to. It's easy to build an app in your bedroom and to get it out in market, but customers are so accustomed to a level of quality that requires so much knowledge and so much money that getting a viable product out in market necessarily nowadays requires some sort of investment. Um, so I agree with, with the statement. I'm, not, I'm just going to quote a very famous entrepreneur. I, I don't wish to, to swear that's not what I do uh, on a daily basis, but uh, a, a very famous entrepreneur called Gary Vaynerchuk, which you guys might know. He's the CEO of VaynerMedia. Uh, he owns a wine library online. Well, he's a very famous guy, more an influencer now than an entrepreneur. He said, ideas are shit, execution is key. And, and, and it's kind of the same statement where it's very easy to have an idea to put it in words to say flying cars will help you save traffic, right? It's very easy to say that and to promote that idea, but execution is the key behind the business. And yes, capital is at the core of scaling a company and turning it into a product. When it comes to my own story, um, I think we, we can, we can dissect this into many phases. Um, before you raise capital, it requires a bit more than just an idea. You know, investors don't believe in words. They need to see some sort of credibility. And so it's an entrepreneur's responsibility to build the credibility, the value, the traction around you at a very early stage that can be done through incubator programs, which is what I did. That can be done with finding the right partners, people with experience and expertise that will help you scale the business, uh, or at least that your investors will have confidence in. Uh, it could be by getting letters of interest from clients or users, uh, doing a design-driven prototype. It's so easy nowadays to go on Figma to, des to design an app and it it's going to turn into your phone. It's going to be a functional prototype on your phone, design-driven, of course. Um, and you can get customers to use it. You can start building customer reviews. You can do a variety of things to build that traction to get that first round of funding from angel investors or from VCs uh, or directly in your incubator program, it's become possible nowadays. So that would be my, my, my journey and my, my, my biggest advice uh, in line with what the Airbnb CEO said, which I totally agree with. Perfect. Thank you so much for your answers. And now I'm handing it back to Henry. Yeah, so I guess I'll be taking it back from here. So I want to back up a little bit, back to the uh, the Golu game that you made very similar to Pokemon Go. Uh, yeah. So you said you were, uh, especially I think in uh, in an interview with Jurnata Monheal, you said you made uh, several mistakes in uh, that yes. process. So yeah. can you tell us what were some of the mistakes and uh, what are some of the lessons you drew from those mistakes, which uh, you then applied to your Golu? Um, variety of mistakes was lack of focus. I tried to do way too many things at the same time, and one of the challenge of an entrepreneur, one of the challenges. I need to put an S there because there's many challenges. One of the challenges of an entrepreneur is to define a minimum viable product, what is commonly known as an MVP, which means taking a very complex idea and turning it, turning it into a very simple product that you can get out and market pretty fast and start building some data-driven traction, not just people say it's good, 
you want to see results, whether it's, you know, monthly recurring revenue, uh, daily active users, uh, retention of your current user base, whatever it is, you need to be able to demonstrate through data that the product works. Um, and you need to get there as fast as possible and to invest as little money as possible. So take the example of my game, um, you know, building a game and its own monetization solution with coupons at the same time is like trying to tackle two businesses in two different industries at the same time. How do you scale the demand side? So the rewards around the world for your user base in Asia, in Africa, South America, you need to be in contact with either reward programs or agencies or local businesses to promote, to advertise that your reward service is now available. At the same time, you need to be doing what full-time a thousand people studios are doing which is grow a game, grow an IP, uh, build a successful compulsion loop in your game where people get addicted. Uh, so it, it just didn't make any sense. There's only Elon Musk that can manage to build two different businesses at the same time in two different industries. I think he's like like a seven business now with Neuralink, SpaceX, Tesla. Like this guy's on another planet. But for the rest of us, mere mortal human beings, we have to focus. And that was one of my biggest mistake lack of focus. So I could go on and on on a variety of, of, of issues, but I think this one is, is pretty valuable and it's at the core of my previous failure. Okay. Uh, so in hindsight, do you think if you focus on just developing an MVP first, for example, completing your game first, would you have a better chance at success with uh, your past game? Yes, um, but the gaming space is not what um, I would be after right now. It's a very crowded, saturated market, and it requires uh, either connections with uh, people at Tencent, Ubisoft, all of these invest or other investment funds uh, or investment funds in general, because Ubisoft and Tencent are studios and companies. Anyway, so there's a it's a very tight knitted community, the mobile game community, where the famous games you play on a daily basis are usually built by the ex-co-founder of King that started its King is Candy Crush. So they started their own studio and now they're doing this. Uh, and then the ex-guys from Ketchup that have been purchased by Ubisoft are starting their new game. So it's it's some sort of very, um, very small, tight-knitted community coming from the outside requires a bit of luck. Um, so I would not be in the mobile gaming space, uh, but I'm sure that if a big studio looked at my idea and try to scale the concept, they probably would. But at the same time, I would just recommend that they come to Goloot and use their SDK because it's going to do a trillion better job than their own internal tooling. So, um, so yeah, it was. I think it was just way too complex of an idea to be turned into an actionable business. It's like flying cars, right? It's a brilliant concept to save traffic, to, uh, you know, to, to, to go straight line to your destination. But there's laws, regulations, and physics in the middle of the way. So same goes for scaling a coupon-driven game. I think there's just way too many challenges for it to be an idea someone can take action can take action on right now. Thank you, Henry, and thank you, Mr. Belong. I'm so sorry. I know you told It's so you. fine. It's so fine. I'll, I'll take it. I'm feeling old. Like, I'm 19 years old. What is this? <laughs> um, so now we would actually like to ask you um, a bit of a more personal question. Um, so what were the dark times for you and your company? Um, fundraising is a dark time. 
<laughs> it's a it's a challenge where especially raising money at an early stage so pre-commercialization pre-product pre-revenue pre-everything so raising an idea with a deck and a piece of paper essentially in the middle of a worldwide pandemic where the stock market is crashing where angel investors can see immediate return on some traditional stocks or Tesla that was just killing it last year. So it's it's not the best time to inquire for or ask for uh, early stage seed capital. So that was a, definitely a, a dark time for Golu because we had we had already raised three hundred thousand dollars and we, we I had an employee on my payroll and I was you know paying myself but very little under the minimum salary. I was paying myself small just to pay for the beers I would drink at Lemons and that's it. <laughs> that covered my lifestyle. So, so, so when I opened up um, my seed round, it was the middle of this pandemic, and that was a really dark time for the company because expectations and the 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 level of their commitment kept changing. I had a, an investor that said yes, but then his business failed, so then it's a no. So you have to figure out well. I have about $1.6 million in commitment. I still need to get to two. And then someone just dropped me in. We already have a term sheet out. So what do you do? So it, it was just this really weird stress of getting my hopes up, getting my hopes down, dealing with this uncertainty. And me, I was on the verge of dropping out and I, and I had to make this happen. If not, I, I, I would have forced on myself a, another session of CJEP, which I to be honest, didn't want to do, especially since all my friends were going to university. So it was this really dark time. And as an entrepreneur, it's a very lonely road. Nobody understands what's going on. The vast majority of your friends don't um, understand the process of fundraising, what it takes. So you, you deal with these problems by yourself and that can be tough on you. Um, but then again, once you succeed, it's the biggest high you're never going to get in a lifetime so 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 you know it, it pays back it, it's going to pay you back a million times that would be my probably my biggest dark time because since then the company has scaled uh very well and we've had our challenges and our difficulties but everything is manageable uh and everything is 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 on you know a positive growth it's a dip in the growth so it's fine yep okay dan uh well i suppose you partially answered this question here but um, so I was going to ask, why didn't you quit? But I guess a better question now then would be, how did you manage to give yourself and the company um, kind of motivation to push through all these challenges and difficulties? Um, well, there's the pressure of, of investors and, and investment and capital in general. You know, you you once you take up somebody else's money, even if it's wealthy individuals, you feel an actual pressure to give them a return on an investment. Like you need to provide a return on an investment. So you feel as though you have that pressure and it naturally trickles down to your employees and to your team. Everybody feels as though, you know, we're on a payroll of, of somebody's money. So let's, let's make sure that we can, you know, build a profitable business and, and do our shit on our own. We don't have to wait for external capital. There's that. And then it's, it's about selling your vision and making people understand that you have something transformative here that can really change the way billions of consumers experience apps and games in general. And people want to be a part of vision that transformed the world that's around them. So um, I was, I was, I'm selling big expectations and big ambitions, not expectations. I'm selling big ambitions. That's the right word. And, and, and that motivates people around you to work 
and people around you to join the wave of your vision. And there's a very great book called Focus on the Why uh, that's well known amongst entrepreneurs and, and in the world. So it's kind of the same mindset where people don't join your company for the what, for the product, for the SDK. They join the company for the why. These are the company for what wakes them up every single day. It's a lesson I take from my head of product that gave me this, this, this mindset. Uh, and I think he's a trillion percent right. Nobody wakes up at Facebook every day to enhance the Facebook advertising algorithm. They wake up at Facebook every day because they want to bring the world closer together as their mission. And that's what you need to convey to get people to join you. Uh, whatever your company's doing, you find your own words. So yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Hopefully that answers your question. That's a beautiful answer. And um, then going just a little bit back to when you were just starting GoLoot, did yeah. you have any concerns or doubt in mind um, knowing that you're going to take on this big journey? Um, kind of like, not all by yourself, but at the end of the day, you are the person in the center of it all. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's it's always stressful to, to, to dive headfirst into a new opportunity. The same way you might be stressed before a chess game or an improv game or a basketball game or whatever you do uh, in terms of sports or activity or hobby. Um, I was diving headfirst into a new environment, but I am so in love and driven by my vision that... Every day I wake up motivated to keep pushing and I'm very tired sometimes and I'm, you know, maybe not the best of my game, but what drives me most is my vision. What drives me most also is my strong will and desire to succeed as an individual. And it's something that has been a part of me since I was uh, literally three years old. I knew that I wanted to change the world and, and sit alongside the Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and whatever that I admired as a young man. Um, and also, you know, financial success was a big thing for me to be financially independent, to be able to support my projects and my visions by myself. That's something that drove me and still drives me to this day. I think it's an unspoken truth because everybody wants to be so charming and what motivates them in life. They're like, oh, I want to save lives. And, you know, everybody wants to be more Catholic than the Pope. But I try... I, I'm, I'm going to be upfront and transparent with you guys. And I'm not ashamed to say that financial success has been a motivation for me since I was a kid. And this opportunity at GoLoot, what I'm building every day is of course bringing me closer to my dream and my vision. So yeah, like motivation, hundred million percent, <laughs> that's what drives me. So, so yeah, that, that, I'm going to give you a fair and honest answer because I think you deserve that. And I don't want to wrap you in some sort of fancy uh, <laughs> fancy motivation that at the end of the day wouldn't be that true we really appreciate that yeah <laughs> yeah i was gonna say the same um and don't be scared if it's you guys like you can assume there's there's a mindset in in in, in our culture the americans are not like that they're all about bragging and money maybe too much even they're all about le paraître as we say in french they're all about you know showcasing to everyone that oh my god i'm driving these ferraris and like Americans are, are a bit too much, but at, at least I think we could, we can appreciate more in our, in our culture and society in Quebec, in Montreal, uh, success. It's, it's very, very important to be driven by success. Everybody's driven by success at the end of the day. Like everyone cares about money. And so it's a great, great motivation in life. It's not the only thing that matters. Of course, there's family, friends, whatever, but it's a great motivation in life. And it's, it's, it's good enough for a human being um yeah and it's something that i'm trying to be as transparent as i can with everyone that interviews me i'm like yeah i'm not ashamed this is 
this was my vision of the world and I'm, and I'm going to change it. So, yeah. Then coming back to the question of money and capital, um, since we we're just talking about your motivation, um, <laughs> I heard that, yeah, I heard that you used to wait outside the gym where your father's friend used to work and then you would wait for him and then you would uh, pitch your idea after his workout. And then you would just wait there every single day for him to come out and ask him to invest in your business. Was that uh, a true story? It is a billion true. It's a true story. And uh, the guy's called Daniel. He's one of our earliest investor. Daniel, of course, in English. He's one of our earliest investor. And uh, sometimes he would come out of the gym on his phone. So it was like, oh, wasted day. Like <laughs> I waited for hours for absolutely no reason, but I would come back every day. Every single day I would wait for, and I knew his schedule. I knew when he would come to the gym and he would text me like, I'm going to be at the gym on Saturday. So I would show up and then he's like doing his badminton lesson, whatever. So I would just sit in the cafe. Uh, and then once he was over, some, one day he decided to stop by the cafeteria to take a sandwich and he offered me to sit down with him. And that's where it all happened. But I was pitching him on his way back to the car as he was sitting down and it's like rolled down his window so I could just finish my sentence and then I would come back the next day. That's a, a true story. You could go to the CCTV of that gym, the cameras, and you'll see me doing that. So uh, part of my journey. Yep. Okay. Then what was the main lesson? Oh, actually, before that question, what? so what did you want to show the investor? What did you want to show Mr. Daniel that you are doing that made him invest finally in gold and not just like go back to his car again on his phone uh, before investing in in, a, in an opportunity in a vision on investors invest in, in 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 a team in people there's a there's a thing in the silicon valley it's like what matters most in a startup is people vision people product people right so they say three times people because it's essentially what makes up a business so what i was trying to convey to danielle is that i was the right guy for the job and I'm going to push. I don't care if you start to dislike me, I'm gonna push and I'm gonna wake up every day and you don't have to pay me, I don't care. I'm gonna wake up every day. I'm gonna be at the gym, I'm gonna be on time. I'm gonna deliver my speech with enthusiasm, passion, energy. Even if it's raining outside, I don't give a shit. I'm gonna be there to pitch you with the same consistency, right? And so I think I got him to think like, okay, like this kid's got what it takes, I believe. At least story goes, <laughs> he ended up investing in the company. So I, I tried to make him understand that, look, I, I, I think I have what it takes to turn this crazy wild concept. Maybe that's not perfectly well-defined, but I'll figure out a way to make it. The same way I'm figuring out a way to pitch you as you're driving back to your, you're walking back to your car or as you're working out, I'm going to wait and I'm going to make it. And and that, that resilience is very important in entrepreneurship, that patience um, till to this day, I could be better, but uh, you know, I'm 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 I I'm trying to be I try to be as patient as possible, as resilient to push through. It's a million things I do for this company that sometimes I look at myself I'm like you're crazy, man, <laughs> you're crazy. So that's what I wanted to show to Danielle. Okay, well, I just have a general question: Was that uh, all conscious, or was it you're doing it just because you wanted to uh, fulfill your vision? Oh, I was doing it because I wanted the, the, the investment and I wanted to turn gold into a business. So there was not that level of introspection. Um, like, uh, oh, I know if I do this, it's going to like me. Not at all. Although I knew that passion was very important in entrepreneurship. And so like every day I was like, you know, put on your good face, smile, pitch, give it all you got. You got to give it a thousand percent. 
so that that I was aware of and I was trying my best to do it. But there was no like mastermind plan behind this to woo Danielle into investing in the company. Uh, I just genuinely wanted it. Nobody knew what Goldoot was at the time. Like none of my friends knew this was going on. I was just, you know, picking up my school bag and then taking the bus on 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 Côte Sainte Catherine and then walking down to get to the Midtown, which is on Van Orne, a, a gym in Montreal. And I would just wait for Danielle at the Midtown. <laughs> like this was really my my grind. Uh, and every entrepreneur has that story. And so we also heard that um, Mitch Garber actually became your mentor. Yeah. So we want to ask you how how did how did that come to be? <laughs> Good question. Good question. Um, you know, I have a variety of people around me. I'm very lucky to have this network of of advisors and mentors that help me structure the the Golut uh, experience and growth. <laughs> I usually refer to the Golut family in general in interviews in the sense that it's not just a team. Of course, the team is 95% of it, but there's the investors and then there's the mentors and advisors and there's me. So so, so um, I met Mitch because one of my investors' son um, was uh, went to school with Mitch's son. And so they were good friends. And in the English Westmount community, these guys knew each other, uh, I wouldn't say fairly well, but they, they knew each other. And the first time I met Mitch was in December of 2019 because the kid of one of my investors, uh, which today is a friend of mine, someone I know well, um, he said, I, I can get you a meeting with uh, Ryan Garber, who's Mitch's son, who was my friend, and we can get you to the dad. So I was like, okay, sure, let's do this. So I, I pitched to the son first, and the son's like, oh, yeah, you're a cool kid. And I like your idea. These guys are a bit older, one year older than we are. So than I am, at least. So like, oh, you're a cool kid. I'm going to introduce you to my dad. So it took a few months to set up the meeting. But essentially, Mitch gave me 45 to 60 minutes in his office uh, in Montreal, the ex-Caesars Entertainment office that's now empty because he's alone. The company was sold. So he's alone in his office. Very nice space. Um, and Mitch, like I said, I, 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 I never had, you know, I didn't have the chance to have a million interactions with Mitch, but Mitch has always been so, so, so relevant in every single thing he told me. I'm amazed by how pertinent Mitch can be whenever he intervenes in the company. So that's why I use him sparingly because every single time he gives me advice, it's like a nuclear bomb. It's a game-changing stuff I have to address right now. So, so when I met Mitch, he introduced me to another advisor of mine, Jason Lapp, who's in the Silicon Valley. Um, and Jason and Mitch have been really at the core of, of my evolution as an entrepreneur and at the evolution of my business. So that's how it came about. And when we raised the Golut seed round in the summer of 2020, Joel Leonoff, my lead investor, the founder of Paysafe, is a good friend of Mitch. They used to work together at Surefire Commerce. I think that's right. You know, don't quote me on this, but I think that's right. So anyway, they have past experiences. So Mitch was like, yeah, sure. You know what? I met you once and I'm happy to help you on a, on a, on a more regular basis. That's how it all turned out. Wow, that's a truly impressive story. Um, <laughs> we would also like to ask that, how did you get Joel Leonoff, um, a billionaire, to invest in your firm? <laughs> um, I was as amazed as and as shocked as you guys are, and I still am to this day. Every time he picks up the phone, I'm like, why are you talking to me right now? <laughs> um, jokes aside, uh, one of my investors, again, the same investor, uh, it, it all it all ties down to relationships and connections and to saying yes to every meeting. 
you know, I didn't know these people personally when I was, when I started out, my parents didn't know these people personally. My parents had a good network and Brebeuf gives you a good network. My friends had parents that were executives in X, Y, and Z companies. So I had this great network starting off, but I didn't know Mitch or Joel or, you know, the other investors in my company. I just never said no to a meeting. And I, I went from meeting students in engineering at Polytechnic after school to being in Joel's office on Sherbrooke for 30 minutes to pitch in my idea. So there's a whole process there. One of my investors knew uh, Danny Chasenoff, who's the COO, Chief Operations Officer of Paysafe, which is Joel's company. So I went to coffee with Danny and with Danny's son. And Danny said, I'm interested in investing in your company, but I don't invest alone. So let me present you to uh, one of my partners. So I met some of his partners, the guys, great, amazing meeting, very smart businessman, just was not the right opportunity. So then he said, okay, let me present you to my boss, Joel. And so I got a meeting with Joel for half an hour in his office. And at that meeting, Joel said, what are you going to do if I give you a million dollars? And from this day on, it's been a, <laughs> a crazy ride. And I speak to Joel every two weeks. Joel is the mentor that I'm, I speak you know, to, to, to the most, uh, the most often with. So, so, so yeah, since uh, some sort of relationship began and that's that Sherbrooke office in Montreal. Uh, yep. That's, that's the answer. Amazing. Um, I'm going to hand it back to Henry now um, with more questions to come. Yeah, actually more questions regarding our network. So I think uh, also from Journal de Montréal, uh, you, Lune uh, Rouge, which is the investment firm funded by Gila Liberté also investing in your company. So That's, I wonder, how did you yeah. get in contact with uh, that firm and uh, why did they choose to invest in your company in particular? So I'm going to correct that information because Lune Rouge never invested in my company. Oh, um, okay. So I've never raised capital from Lune Rouge. I know it's in the Journal de Montréal article, but I never told the 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 journalist um that you know Nul Rouge was an investor in my company but it, sometimes it's a question of interpretation and everything goes fast so it happens and, and you know I've, I've i the day that article came out fun story i'm just gonna take time for this the Nul Rouge head of pr called me and she was like i i, I never met that person before she was like who are you why is this like why is this all over the news and i'm like you know my story is a bit weird with you guys but i swear to god i never mentioned mr liberté's name i never mentioned you know the investment whatever they just interpreted that from my speech like no no we're not mad because this is advertising but like <laughs> like how did this happen so anyway fun story um what what happened with Nul rouge is i was looking for credible partners and mentors way before i even met joel and way before I even raised capital, I was looking for structure. Um, that's in 2019. And someone knew someone that knew someone, the complex relationships that used to work at Nul Rouge. And so I got a meeting with a guy that was VP. Uh, I think he was like on more of the creative side because Nul Rouge was working on this sort of pyramid downtown. You guys probably remember that was like a, 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 a nightclub in form of a pyramid in old Montreal. Anyway. They were working on this project. Nul Rouge was a very new organization. They just bought Toralcan downtown. Um, there was hundreds of people walking around, running around. It's crazy, very dynamic environment. And I met this guy and he was like, I'm not on the tech side, but I can introduce you to the guys who are on the tech side. Said, yeah, for sure. So I met Patrice Boilly. 
and François Blamondon that were both, you know, co he, François was the co-CEO of Le Rouge and Patrice was uh, the head of the tech side. It's called the tech side of, of Le Rouge. They kind of fell in love with the idea. They were not investing in early stage ventures, but they fell in love with me and they were like, you know what? We have a team of developers internally that we have the talent for you. You have the accountants, the lawyers, like all the structure you need. You just need to raise money. That's what I did. I raised a $300,000 pre-seed round. Then I came back to Le Rouge. They offered me a free office space. Uh, and when they moved to the old port, they brought me with them. So I had my own little office. I had my business card with the Le Rouge address and they never charge anything. And that's what I, when I talk about collaboration in the tech ecosystem, I, I, I was talking about that recently on LinkedIn. That's exactly what I mean. I was given opportunities that no one can imagine in any other industry. These guys were just doing it because they were genuinely good to me. And, and, and so that's my relationship with Le Rouge. Both Francois and Patrice are not at Le Rouge anymore. Uh, I think Francois is, uh, is leading a loyalty company called Hello Card. He's on another world. But that's what, when this article came out, Le Rouge was like, who are you? Nobody knows you internally. It's like, I'm an OG. I was there like at the start of, of this incubator program. Zoo, the Le Rouge incubator, did not even exist at the time. It was an idea that Guy had. So... I was kind of like a free first trial on a startup that <laughs> for mentorship and whatever. That's my relationship with Inouge. Well, I'm glad it worked out. It did. It did. Um, and, I, and I still get to talk to uh, Patrice once in a while. It's been a while now, but uh, he's a very smart businessman, a very educated, all in all, as a human being, an entrepreneur and manager. So uh, I, should, I, should, I should reach out to him. You guys remind me of this. Yes, definitely. Um, as we've seen, you actually have a very interesting network of people and uh, it definitely contributed to the growth of your company. All, with that said, you are still a very, very young man. In fact, just a year older than Henry and I. Uh, we were actually wondering, um, what tips could you give young people like us uh, with regards to networking, since we feel like the world is so big out there and we literally know nobody? Yeah, you, that's, that's, again, that's a misconception, right? Because you guys are, are you both in Marianopolis right now? Yep. Yeah. Right. So you guys are already privileged to, like me, I was also privileged to be able to go to a private school, go up on LinkedIn, look up the family names of your friends and look up what their dads or moms do or uncles do. And you'll find very interesting people, people in the gaming space, in lawyers, doctors, uh, um, uh, entrepreneurs, you'll find a variety of people in your school ecosystem that are very valuable to you. What I think is usually missing in our generation is just the will to reach out and not be scared to reach out. People want to help you. That's the benefit that you have. That's the asset that you have as a young person is everybody wants to help you. So if you take time to really deep dive in the network of your school and beyond uh, you know, you can do some good damage uh, in terms of networking. Networking is also on the mindset of never say no to a meeting. You'll never know where you're going to get. Never say no to an opportunity. Whoever you meet, if it's a student at Polytechnic that gets you a meeting, go meet him because you don't know what his dad does for a living. You don't know what his mom does for a living. You don't know who he knows or who he has connections to. So that's how you do networking. And that's what I've done. I know the world feels big and it is big, but Montreal is so, so small. Everyone is one touch away. Uh, everyone is one full call away. I'm, trust me, 
if you start meeting the right people and you really invest in your network, you're going to realize that you're not that far from even like Addison Ray and, you know, uh, like all these influencers on TikTok, they're really not that far away. If you start meeting the right people, they're really not that far away. Um, so yeah, so yeah, that the world is a smaller community than you can imagine, even though it seems so big. That would be my biggest advice. Um, just giving you some perspective on networking opportunities around you that you could address tomorrow morning if you took the time to. That's definitely a very interesting answer. And thank you for addressing that misconception that most of us, um, myself included, probably has. Um, Henry, any other question? Um, yeah, I guess some final, some final question is, yeah. what do you think are the most important skills and factors that helps you uh, make GoLook uh, successful and what it is today? Um, uh, surrounding myself with the right people has been the, the, the biggest success the company has had, and it's probably the foundation of our success. Um, let's start with the employees, finding the right guys and girls to fit the right roles, and it's never easy. It's never easy to hire. It's never easy to manage people, and people have to understand, like, my employees do that it's not easy to work for a startup. It comes with uncertainties and things that are maybe loosey goosey. You don't get the structure, but Hey, you get the freedom and you get the excitement and the joy and the rapid growth. So there's cost and benefits. Uh, and then it's about building a network around you of mentors, advisors, as I said, you know, going out to meet people, you have no idea the late nights I spent, um, meeting some, some, some polytechnic engineers that were studying and they, they told me, you know, Lucas, we can't meet you before 9 p.m. because we have these exams and we're going to be at Poly at 9 p.m. So meet us at Poly at 9 p.m. And I would just go. I would just meet. But all my friends were doing something else. I would take time to meet, to sit down. Then my mom was like, hey, I met this guy at work and uh, he's a consultant and he works with entrepreneurs. I think he'd be happy to meet you. And when my mom reaches out to say, look, I, I know a 17, then 17-year-old kid that's starting a business. Everybody's like, sure, I'm going to meet him. So I went for a coffee with that guy. And that guy introduced me to someone at in a games company and on and on and on and on. You get to these, you get to a point where you've built such an amazing network and the vast majority of, 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 of one's success is the people that surround them. And that's what I think has been the foundation of Goldoot, a great, 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 very talented team, incredible mentors that are there at the right moment, very relevant investors with deep pockets that allow us to scale and to be confident with our capital. Um, you know, that's it. That's it. And a family around me, friends and family that understand the journey I'm, I'm undertaking and I'm there to support me. So all in all, I would say that's the, that's the biggest and brightest reason for, for Google's success. Talking about people, because you also said in the Silicon Valley, the, the, the saying is that the products are really the people and the people <laughs> who surround the company. So also this was also touched upon in our last year's case competition. So what is the key to managing people well, especially given a difficult situation like a pandemic or an uh, economic meltdown? Um, I don't think I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to give you the best answer I can again. I, I want to be humble. There are incredible resources when it comes to management and leadership. Um, I've only been leading people for one year. So let me give you my very early on perspective on management. Um, was your question, how is it to manage people? Just to make sure I understand it properly or? Yeah, it's from your own perspective. What is your uh, key take on managing different people? Yeah. Um, management is about, managing is a game of responsibilities in the sense that to, again, so to lead and to manage is not the same thing. It's two different concepts and it's not applied the same way. Leadership 
which is closer to the job of a founder um, and a CEO in a startup is to lead by example and to be giving so much of your heart and time to your employees and to your team and to your company. I, I was on a previous podcast uh, recently in, in South America and we were discussing like what are the challenges of being a CEO and one of the thing is every accomplishment is thanks to your company and thanks to your employees. Every failure is because of you as an individual. It's like being the captain of your ship, right? If the sink ships, uh, if the, the, the ship, ship sinks, sinks. <laughs> if yeah. the ship sinks, it's because of the captain. But if the ship makes it to sea or the ship makes it to the other half of the Atlantic, it's thanks, of course, to the, to the teamwork and the collaboration between everybody. And that's something that as a manager, you're not always prepared for assuming responsibilities, being hands-on and saying, you know what, I'm going to stand, stand strong. And if everything is falling apart, you need to be standing on deck. If, it's, if there's a storm outside and the ship is like 45 degree angle, everything's falling to sea, you still need to be standing outside. You don't need to push through it. That's the mindset of a manager. And that I would say is my biggest stake so far in management. It's, 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 it's a question of responsibility. Can you manage responsibilities? If yes, you're going to be a great manager. Um, Second thing I want to add to that question. I know my answers are long sometimes. I want to be concise. No, it's, it's great. It's great answers. I want to be concise, but, uh, uh, and it's hard because I, I like to talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> so the second thing that I would say in management that I've learned is people, you need to respect your workforce and recognize that everybody at their job is a lot better than you are. The, the boss mindset of the 1970s, 1960s, the old corporate structure of like, you receive your employee's work you, and you throw it in the trash. It's not good. Do it again. That mindset is over. If you're hiring someone and you, you're disappointed with his work, you failed at hiring, right? So you need to be hiring smart people, not to tell them what to do, but so they can tell you as a manager what to do. That's Steve Jobs. And he's 100 trillion percent right. And so one of the takes I have on management is, I, sometimes I felt like I'm being, I'm being managed by my own team in the sense that they're so talented and so pertinent in what they do. And I give them room to take decisions because I can't do it all by myself. I'm not the best at engineering. So why would I be making certain calls on engineering? So you need to respect people. You need to recognize how good they are. You need to be even willing to learn from these people and the payback they'll give you as a CEO, the respect, the, 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 how, how long they're going to you know, follow you in your journey it's going to be tremendously increased if you if you adopt that mindset. So these are the two things I'm going to bring to this podcast. I think it's, it's a fair answer. <laughs> yeah, it's a great answer. And since we touch upon management, then how do you lead? It, since that's a different topic. Um, I, I, again, I said example is leadership. So someone was around me, was telling me uh, recently that it's been something I've, I've heard a few times. You know, I was working these crazy hours, nine, nine to a trillion, <laughs> like eight to whenever. Um, and, and it's sometimes not also how long you work, but how hard you work in those hours, which is crazy. So someone was telling me like, look, it's like, you're the boss. Like, just stop working. Just go out with your friends. And I'm telling them that that's not how a leader behaves. Like when you become captain of your hockey team or basketball team, it's no time to slack in practice because now you're the captain. On the contrary, it's time to step up. You need to be outperforming, outdelivering, and you need to be standing up. And if someone needs you, you answer the phone. And people were kind of telling me like, it's it's 10 o'clock. Why are you responding when, why are you answering the phone when an, 
employees calling you. It's like, because that's what it is to be a leader. You make yourself available. You go that extra mile. That's why people choose you as a leader. That's why people respect you as a leader because you are the one willing to go the extra mile. That's how they're going to respect you. So that's my take on leadership. Leadership is, is a very complex thing and it starts with devotion to your team, to your company, really to give your thousand percent all the time. That's how people are going to respect you as a leader. That's how you're going to lead, in fact. Perfect. And yeah, then I guess that's it for all my questions. And Camila, do you have any? No, I just want to say thank you so much for all of your very impressive and helpful answers. Um, I think for everybody, not just the business kids, um, this podcast is one to not miss because there's so much you could learn from this. I This is too much. I appreciate this. You guys have been very nice. Uh, and congrats on the effort of, of doing this podcast. Uh, very professional. You make me feel at home doing this. So it's pun intended because I'm sitting in my home office. Yeah, you guys are making me feel at home. So, um, and, you know, I'm happy to come back whenever. And hopefully, you know, you guys can, can have some takeaways from this conversation. That's really why uh, I do this. Already have some takeaways. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, well, happy to help. Happy to help. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you everyone for choosing to listen. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we did during the interview. If you liked this episode, learned something, or just want to help out a bunch of students, please leave a review, write a comment, and share this on social media. If you are listening to this on YouTube, please subscribe and write to us in the comments. All the books and other resources recommended by the interviewee are in the podcast description slash video description depending on your platform. And depending on when you see this, you might be able to use our affiliate link to purchase them. The Marianopolis Addendum Podcast is actively seeking local sponsors here in Montreal. So if you are interested, please contact us at the email linked in the description. All the profit generated by this podcast will go back to fund our club's activity. If we have any surplus, they will be donated at the end of every month to a local charity. This episode was edited by Henry. And the artwork is done by Camilla Huang. The producers and guests associated with this episode may express their opinion, but this podcast does not support any political parties. We only aim to bring different perspectives on different issues through the free exchange of opinions and ideas. We look forward to seeing you at our next broadcast. Cheers! Cheers!